Okay, hello everybody. Today is Friday. Another Anything Goes Friday. Welcome to the show. Today we are revisiting the case of the Long Island serial killer. Earlier this year I did a multi-part series on the LISK, and this video here will also be included in the playlist, but just to remind you that you can download this show for free at Launchpad 1, and there's a link to that in the description box. They've had some technical difficulties, but I hope to get all the episodes uploaded back on Launchpad 1 so people can download the program for free to take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. Be one of the thousands of people who have downloaded Black Box Online Radio for free via Launchpad 1. In this video, I would like to respond to a lot of your questions and comments that you've left on the previous Long Island serial killer episodes, but I also want to give the reminder that while the authorities believe that there was a single perpetrator who committed many of the crimes attributed to the Long Island serial killer, there's also a great debate about several of the other crimes. I mean, some of the victims are still unidentified, such as Peach's Jane Doe and Cherry's Jane Doe, the baby Jane Doe. So there is a lot of uncertainty in this mystery, and we aren't completely certain how many people died at the hands of the Long Island serial killer or if there were multiple perpetrators. The questions really have not been made very clear to the general public, or the answers to those questions have not been made clear, to be precise. But first, I would like to give a shout-out to Tina L., who has shared a lot of things with me via Facebook about the Long Island serial killer mystery. She is the one who provided me the copies of the depositions of both Michael Pack and Joe Brewer, and I responded a lot in the past to the deposition of Michael Pack, but... I would like to talk about Joe Brewer's deposition today, and he gets connected to a crime or a suspicious death that may not even be the Long Island serial killer, and that is the death of Shannon Gilbert. First, I want to lay out some of the groundwork. It's possible the Long Island serial killer was operating as early as 1996. Let's just say the early to mid-90s, mid-90s thereabouts, because as I said, the general public's understanding isn't even completely in agreement about when crimes could have begun. Then you have some confirmed victims who have been attributed to the LISC in the early part of the new millennium, particularly Jessica Taylor and Valerie Mack. I have episodes on both of them. And then in the second decade of the new millennium, we encounter the suspicious death of Shannon Gilbert, and I would like to go over to an article from inews.co.uk who says, Who was Shannon Gilbert? Shannon Gilbert was a 24-year-old sex worker from New Jersey who went missing after she made a 911 call in May of 2010. According to NBC News, Shannon Gilbert told the 911 operator that somebody was trying to kill her. At the time of the call, Gilbert was a at a client's house in Oak Beach on Long Island. It is thought that she made the call. She left on her own accord, left the premises on foot, and disappeared. And then in December of 2011, Shannon's body was found in the marshy area of Long Island. But then, while they were searching for Shannon Gilbert, they uncovered the four famous victims who have been known as the Gilgo Four. And if you've looked into the Long Island serial killer mystery, perhaps you've seen something about how women's bodies were found on Long Island buried in the ground in burlap. 
they're buried in these types of burlap sacks. And that is the famous thing that has been shared, but a lot of the other sources um, state that at least two of them were buried in burlap. So it really is a little bit unclear, but four bodies were buried on Gilgo Beach, near Gilgo Beach, thereabouts. And the authorities do not believe that Shannon Gilbert was connected to the Long Island serial killer. And when she was last seen, she was driven to a man named Joe Brewer's home. She was driven by Michael Pack, that was her driver, and another individual named Dr. Peter Hackett gets incorporated into this. And something happened to Shannon Gilbert that night. She was acting very erratically. She seemed to have some intense fear of something happening to her. And they talk about this in the movie Lost Girls, which is about the disappearance of Shannon Gilbert, as well as the Long Island serial killer, that no matter how intoxicated someone could be, no matter if they're high on drugs or not, they wouldn't run away from their driver because that's the safety point. That's the lifeline. That's the person who's supposed to help you. Why did Shannon run away from the driver, Michael Pack? And even in Joe Brewer's deposition, he's talking about how she's running up and down the neighborhood, banging on the doors of other residents, and he is very precise that she's doing this to multiple people's houses, not just a single house, and it's not just happening for a second, and she's on the phone with 911 for an extended period of time. What on earth could be going on? Well, I said I was going to do this as a Q&A session, and I was going to respond to your questions and comments. So first, I would like to go to one from William Bloodworth, who came, who left a comment on my first Long Island serial killer episode, simply called The Introduction. And William Bloodworth says that, I believe it's likely that these murders are part of an underground snuff ring. And even though the authorities believe that all of these crimes are connected, such as the murders of Jessica Taylor, Valerie Mack, the Gilgo Four, and those are the crimes we're talking about, they have a set of criminal activities that they believe are from the Long Island serial killer. Shannon Gilbert, they say that somebody else, but some of the victims that I just mentioned are on the confirmed victim list. But when you look at all of the differences, like Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor were dismembered, their bodies were mutilated, they were left above ground, whereas the Gilgo Four were buried underground, at least two of them placed in burlap sacks. So, what really is going on? I don't like any of these theories about snuff rings or any type of criminal underworld operation, except in this case. I mean, I'm really having trouble finding another explanation about why these women are being murdered and why their bodies are being discarded this way. And I'll read William Bloodworth's comment again. I believe it's likely that these murders are part of an underground snuff film ring. I am having a, a difficult time finding an alternative. In the Zodiac Killer mystery, I absolutely do not like the snuff film angle that the Lake Berryessa stabbing was meant to be filmed and that that was the reason for it, or that the activities of the Manson family were part of some type of underground snuff film ring because pornography was illegal in 1969 or Jean Benet Ramsey even that um uh that's that she was part of a snuff film I mean I think that those angles are very difficult to investigate I mean it's difficult to prove and there are so many 
other explanations for the crimes that I just listed off about why people did what they did. Whereas with the Long Island serial killer, and to be clear, I think William Bloodworth might be onto something, it is that there doesn't seem to be a, a solid motive. We know that the LISC is primarily targeting sex workers, that it's happening in somewhat of an affluent community in Long Island, Oak Beach and Gilgo Beach. We know that people are luring their victims from New York City and they're being transported out into the Long Island area. Now, are snuff films exactly? I, I can't make that type of determination now, but it seems like there's a group of people who are preying on sex workers and they are using their secluded status, their connections to affluent people, connections to elite circles to hide this fact. I mean, if anyone would like to dispute that in the comments section or simply provide an alternative, I would love to read it and maybe it'll be used in a future AMA or Q&A session. There's going to be an AMA this weekend, by the way, because normally they come out on Wednesday, but for some other reasons I had to move them to the weekend. But somebody brought up a possibility in the comments section that could be an alternative to the snuff ring. And that is that maybe a single serial killer began dismembering the bodies of the victims and then realized that it's too much work or this person's getting older, and then they decided to just bury them. And as I said, thank you to Tina L. for sharing me the depositions and the documents. When I was reading Joe Brewer's deposition, once again, he was the man whom Shannon Gilbert had last visited prior to her disappearance. He was asked a very direct question from the authorities. Did you ever see burlap being used around the trees in the Oak Beach community? And Joe Brewer's response was, no, not to my recollection. But as I said, the Gilgo Four were buried in burlap. And there's even a suspect named James Bissett who gets incorporated into this because he owned a plant nursery who was the largest supplier of burlap in the region. And just days after the discovery of Shannon Gilbert's body, he committed suicide. And then the alarm bells just started going off in my mind. I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, doesn't that guy just sound extremely like the Long Island serial killer? But the more I learned about the um, suspicious death of Shannon Gilbert, I was tempted to lean the other way and think that I'm not necessarily seeing a connection. Shannon was found not buried in the ground like the Gilgo Four. Her body was not dismembered like Jessica Taylor or Valerie Mack. Her body was not decapitated like Peach's Jane Doe or Cherry's Jane Doe. So I think that um, there might actually be some other reasons about why Shannon Gilbert um, passed away that I'll talk about in this episode. But when he was questioned and talking about Joe Brewer's deposition... He was asked about, did you see the burlap around? And he said no. However, I think the authorities, and this is purely my response to this, but they believe that somebody could have had a connection to the groundskeeping in the area. It seems like they had a good idea, understanding that there was burlap that was being used in on the trees in the Oak Beach community, and that someone who had a connection to the groundskeeping had either the same type of burlap or it's using burlap similar to what was used to bury the bodies of the Kilgo Four. So someone has a connection there to whoever's responsible for the groundskeeping, whether it's a manager or 
a supervisor, a supplier. I am not pointing any fingers at anybody because I honestly do not know. But it's just something to think about that someone in that community could be responsible. Or maybe William Bloodworth is completely right. This is a, There's a group of people who view themselves as untouchable because they have connections to an elite circle and they're murdering these women because they know that they can get away with it. Maybe they've had a, a single person dismember the bodies of women who have been killed in these snuff films covering their tracks. Maybe someone is, oh, what's the word for that? Um, it's not an ice man. Like the person who is um, dismembering the bodies. Oh, there's a word for that in organized crime. But there's also something such as a fixer. When someone has a dead body, they need to get rid of that um, evidence. That person is called a fixer. They could have a person like that. I'm really not trying to subscribe to any particular theory, trying to weigh the merit of the different possibilities. But because I've read the deposition of Joe Brewer and Michael Pack, I encountered a particular line in both of them. Michael Pack and Joe Brewer were both asked the question about, did you go to college and what kind of degree did you have? And somebody called me out on something that I said in response to, Michael Pack's deposition, and that was that they asked him if he went to college, and he said yes. Did you go to a university? Yes. Did you get a degree? Yes. What was it in? Michael Pack said history. They said, what kind of degree did you get? And he said, oh, like a BA or a BS, a Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Science. I don't remember. And I thought that that was just so incredibly weird. Michael Pack is the driver for Shannon Gilbert, who drove her to Joe Brewer's house the night before she had somewhat of an erratic episode, and as I said, running up and down the neighborhood. I thought that that was just an extremely bizarre response, and I said, I've known plenty of college graduates. No matter if it's, what, if it's been 30 years, 40 years, I couldn't imagine any college graduate forgetting what kind of degree he had. It's like, are you a medical doctor? I don't know. Maybe I went to college, but I don't know what kind of degree I've had. Um, yeah. So, no, it's really not like that. But I just thought that was bizarre. And I made a comment about how it's almost like his brain had been fried from drugs. And I said that because Michael Pack adamantly denied drug use in his deposition. He says that Shannon Gilbert used drugs, but he denies the drug use. So, um... And I didn't say that he was on drugs or that his brain had been fried from drugs. I believe I said something to the effect of it was almost like his brain had been fried on, on drugs, or he sounds like it. But I don't know. I mean, I certainly I've never met Michael Pack. I've never spent an ounce of time with him. All I know is what's publicly available online. But Braden Merletti would like to respond to that by saying, the fact that you believe, and furthermore told the world via your video here, that you think the driver of Shannon Gilbert had his brain fried by drugs when he refused to specifically say what his college degrees are shows your entire lack of professionalism. Imagine if YouTube was hacked and flooded this site with CP, then someone asked you, your fourth grade teacher, when what was her name during all the chaos? while you're trying to tell the public and the FBI how you're innocent. But because it would be you, it would be acceptable. How ironic. I just got done being interviewed for 27 straight hours over my YouTube channel being hacked and uploading CP. I'm sorry I stumbled over who my fourth grade teacher was. Hey, Braden Merletti, thank you so much for the comment all the same. And 
the words CP are actually written out. I was censoring them, and I had to find this comment from my email archive, because if you say anything about CP and um, actually write out the words, YouTube is just going to automatically delete your comment. But um, when I first read that, I was like, absolutely not. I mean, I absolutely wanted to just come out swinging full force, be like, I don't care if it's been 30 years. My fourth grade teacher was Mrs. Adams. She hated my guts. A lot of emotional abuse and traumatic experiences from the fourth grade, mind you. I had language arts with Mrs. Walter. I had math with Mrs. Klein. But... Yeah, there's just some a little bit of nastiness. You see, what happens in the fourth grade is you're just on the verge of starting adolescence, and people begin to behave differently compared to the third grade. It's almost like people become a little bit rougher. They begin to do a few more nastier things because they're getting out of the latency phase, and they're entering into a time in their life that is a lot less mellow. And I had a rough experience, not even so much for my own actions, but the way that other people perceived them, and I don't need mean to go into a giant therapy session, it's just because um, Braden asked about my fourth grade teacher. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to um, remember, remember her, yeah. But here's another problem with that line of thinking. That's about something in childhood, not adulthood, and the brain processes memories differently in childhood rather than adulthood. And also, you point out that, I mean, firstly, calling me unprofessional, this is not a professional show that I think you can tell by the quality of this production that this is an amateur podcast. But one more point, and here's something where I'm almost going to admit that I was wrong. Not completely, but when I was reading Joe Brewer's de deposition, they asked him the same question. Did you go to college? And he's like, yes. Did you get a degree? And he said yes, and they said, did you get a BA or a BS, Bachelor of Arts or Bachelor of Science? And he said, I have a degree in accounting, it's a BBA. And I was like, aha, see, that's a totally normal way to respond to this. But then, he said, it's a BBA, I mean, I, I think it's a, a, a BBA, I think, and I was like, ah, crap, okay, fine. Your point is almost taken, Brayden. No, and I mean that. Um, maybe it's not as normal as I thought to completely remember the exact lettering on what type of college degree you have. That means Michael Pock's response about not knowing what degree he got from college 40 years ago. It goes from not being completely bizarre to just mostly bizarre. But I do completely see what Brayden was talking about, how these guys are being deposed. They're talking to lawyers, and they've dealt with law enforcement, and a woman died, and they're being held under suspicious circumstances. Like, by held, I mean, they're, the people are trying to find out whether or not Michael Pack and Joe Brewer had any role in the death of Shannon Gilbert. So yes, it's a very stressful, unpleasant experience. That part, I can agree with Brayton and admit that I was wrong about but way too quick to judge about how they are um, forgetting certain details from their life under intense and uncomfortable pressure. Okay, being clear about that. But the next point is, in Joe Brewer's deposition, 
it is um, very, very lengthy if you read it. And they start off first talking about all the basics. What kind of house do you live in? How did you acquire the house? And he um, talks about how he purchased it and right before somebody was getting divorced. And did you ever have a roommate? He had a roommate named Eric for a while who worked on a tugboat who would do three weeks on, three weeks off. And he just let him stay there because he was a friend from middle school, actually. Then, once they finally got into um, the events involving Shannon Gilbert, uh, Joe Brewer's testimony begins to change a little bit, and he decides to start pleading the fifth. And they actually ask him, do you know what pleading the fifth means? And he says, no. But then they're like, well, why are you doing it? He's like, my attorney instructed me to use my Fifth Amendment privilege, which means that he doesn't have to answer any questions out of the possibility of incriminating himself in a crime. And I'm paraphrasing that response, but uh, that's what he said that his um, attorney had instructed him to do. And they say, okay, so you understand what you're doing by pleading the Fifth? And he's like, yes. And I really found that there was a very, very particular detail in Joe Brewer's testimony, and that is that he was only pleading the fifth about activities that were happening inside his house, because the authorities ask him over and over again, did you kill Shannon Gilbert? And he says, no. Did you dump her body in the marsh? And he says, no. Do you know who killed Shannon Gilbert or dumped her body in the marsh? And he's like, no. Now, was she in your house for sexual services? I plead the fifth. So you can see very clearly that he is not talking about activities that happened inside his house. When he's asked about Michael Pack inside his house, pleads the fifth. Asked about Peter Hackett, pleads the fifth. I don't know if that was the instruction for his from his attorney or not to only plead the fifth of things about what's going on inside his home, or is he just answering questions that he thinks are very important, like, did you kill Shannon Gilbert? No. Did you dump her body in the marsh? No. I'm not sure about that, but I definitely thought it was, um, well, just very noteworthy, because they also ask him, did you witness Michael Pack grabbing Shannon Gilbert? And he says, no. Did you witness Michael Pack doing anything with Shannon Gilbert inside your home? I plead the fifth. And more or less, I mean, that's the takeaway from the deposition. And we have a comment from LT on the episode about the murder of Jessica Taylor. And LT says, There is a new picture added by Sacred Geometry on Reddit of Jessica Taylor only nights before she went missing. This user says they got it from a friend of Jessica's and got permission to share it. This girl looks so young. She was a beautiful girl as well. Check it out if you haven't. Thanks for posting this video. A lot of discussion on this leaves Jessica and Valerie Mack out. Valerie Mack was found dismembered in 2000 and only ID'd in 2020. And if anything, that uh, goes to show us that there are they are making advancements in DNA testing, forensic sciences, techniques that they are using to identify victims numerous times on this channel. I've talked about how advances in forensic sciences have helped solve cold cases, whether it was the 1982 murder of Carolyn Eaton, who was unidentified for a long time, or Jeanette Coleman, who was previously known as Daisy Jane Doe. I believe she was identified in 2015. And we have another comment from the same episode on Jessica Taylor, 
And this says, is from Maggie Drake, who says, Just want to say, what happens in every serial killer investigation is, the killer gets in contact with the families. The list called the family members previously. Shannon was feeling that something wasn't right. I reckon Hackett and Brewer need to be looked at deeply. Now, when I was reading Joe Brewer's deposition, and he first started pleading the fifth, I was not bothered by it. I mean, Tina L. even told me to look out for it. I was not bothered by it in the full context. I could see that this is what his lawyer has recommended that he should do. This is what the attorney said needs to happen. And people do that. And pleading the fifth does not mean that you are guilty of anything, especially because he gave that condition that I'm just following the advice of my lawyer. It's like when somebody refuses a polygraph test and they're like, why are you refusing a polygraph if you're telling the truth? Because my lawyer has instructed me to. I mean, you could debate the um, science of polygraphs all day long. I would love to do that with you in a future episode. But people follow the advice of their lawyers. And I wasn't bothered by that too much. The thing that truly bothered me is that he is only talking about um, activities that happened outside of his home and just pleading the fifth to everything that's going on inside the home. And I became very suspicious. I mean, especially when they're asking questions like, did you kill Shannon Gilbert? No. Was Shannon Gilbert ever naked in your house? I plead the fifth. So you can see the uh, context that is being shared there. And yes, I mean, because this is just an amateur podcast where I run my mouth on the internet, or as Braden said, telling the world via your video. Yeah, I do say a lot of things, and I don't mind um, expressing some curiosity. That allows me to think that he's hiding something, okay? But um, as you heard, not a lot of places have been talking about the murders of Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor. I would like to go over to one of the comments that was left on the episode called Long Island Serial Killer, The Murder of Valerie Mack. And it comes to us from Walter, who says, What makes someone want to kill another human being? Just because they are prostitutes does not mean she is not loved. Someone's daughter, sister, possibly mother... Some really sick individuals out there. This is why capital punishment is needed. About the crimes that have taken place. I mean, is this a snuff ring? A snuff film ring, even? I mean, those those things don't have to go hand in hand. It could just be some type of thrill-kill club. And this is one of the few times when I think that theory might actually be plausible and somewhat higher on the plausible list. I mean, yes, I entertained it in the past with the Zodiac Killer mystery when I didn't know what I was talking about, but that was years ago. I mean, I'm just not um, completely able to rule it out that what makes somebody want to murder somebody like Valerie Mack or Jessica Taylor or the Gilgo Four or even be responsible for the death of Shannon Gilbert, well... But there is an alternative theory out there involving the death of Shannon Gilbert, and that is just that there is this affluent community that has a lot of money in it on Oak Beach. Many people are bringing escorts in from the city, from, from New York City, that is. And then, yes, there is a Long Island serial killer, but Shannon Gilbert was just the victim of some unfortunate circumstances that were not related. Dr. Hackett, Michael Pack, Joe Brewer, the people that we've been talking about in this episode, 
Are they guilty of something? Maybe. But are they active participants in the Long Island serial killer mystery? Well, it doesn't immediately it doesn't immediately connect them to that. Now, because we're just talking about theories all across the board, just sharing something else that I um, heard. I think it may have been sent in on Facebook. Anybody can write me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box. You can also write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. But somebody shared something about how they thought that Michael Pack was the driver for this snuffering, that he is providing these sex workers to um, people who are ultimately going to murder them. I mean, I can't accuse him of that, but that's something that someone has shared with me. I'm not saying he's guilty or anything. I mean, innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, right? But that is something that has been put out online. And you be the judge. I mean, I would love to read your comments down below. If you think that this is a snuff ring that's going on, or you think that just lots of prostitutes end up in a very secluded area, and people take advantage of that and have them murdered because they can get away with it, and that there actually are multiple killers in the Long Island serial killer mystery. But ADC has a very solid question for this Q&A, and it is, why hasn't the killer been found? You don't need to tell anybody that the list is the same for every unsolved serial killer case. Well, I think that's a two-part question. Why hasn't the killer been found? Firstly, the authorities are not revealing everything about what's going on with the Long Island serial killer mystery. Secondarily, I mean the second part of your question, ADC, every serial killer case, well, there's this theory out there that if a crime goes unsolved for a very long time, it's because the authorities are covering up the activities of somebody else. It could be a member of their own, could be a member of some elite circle talking about even a politician, a high-ranking so-and-so, or maybe someone who is very low-ranking, but they have an informant, like a confidential informant who got betrayed or ended up murdered, and they're covering up activities of said confidential informants or active participants in the investigation, and that they are just trying not to expose wrongdoings on their own part or events that would have led to somebody's death. There is this kind of, that's a kind of umbrella theory, not getting into anything specific about the Long Island serial killer mystery, but we have had breakthroughs in the true crime world. Some of the identified people that I mentioned, Valerie Mack was one, also I talked about Jeanette Coleman and Carolyn Eaton, but also the Golden State Killer was captured using genealogical DNA techniques, and those are going to become more and more prevalent in the world of forensic sciences. So I'm really looking, looking for some conclusion to some of the cases in the Long Island serial killer mystery. I also believe that certain victims may not have been connected to the list because the physical evidence has simply been destroyed like talking about how some of them, the Jane Doe's, had been decapitated and they couldn't find the head. Well, that shows you that a lot of the physical evidence was perhaps heavily, heavily disturbed. If you were going to compose a single killer theory in the Long Island serial killer mystery, would it go something like this? As early as 1996, 
someone's targeting victims in Long Island. At first, maybe they're doing some work with groundskeeping, seasonal occupation. That's why they're not committing the crimes all the time. They're coming in and out of these affluent communities. They are perhaps very chatty with people. He comes across as the nicest guy in the world, learns about the activities of some of the people who have a lot more money than he does, and then shows up and takes advantage of the women who are coming to see richer and more powerful men than he is. He murders their bodies, they are dismembered, some of them are even decapitated, the remains are scattered, and some of them are just left in places that are actually somewhat very visible. And when I'm, I'm just remembering something, when I did the episode on um, Jessica Taylor and the one on Valerie Mack, that somebody must have driven an enormous distance, I think it's 40, 40 miles or 40 kilometers, one or the other, to discard some of the remains. But then... The baby Jane Doe was buried within 600 meters of another body attributed to the Long Island serial killer, and baby Jane Doe was not the daughter of the woman who had been murdered. So then someone, I forget what, where or else I'd cite the source, but they said instantly, this is significant of multiple killers in the Long Island serial killer mystery. They're like, this person is not these are these are not all done by the same person there are multiple killers they are just familiar with the same dumping grounds because someone is not going to drive 40 kilometers to discard remains and then the next time they commit a crime oh yeah we'll just go back to that um other place near gilgo beach or something and discard remains in in a concentrated area they're like this these are multiple killers they're working for the same purpose they're part of this snuff ring and they're just familiar with the same uh dumping grounds like at, at one time it was this person who was doing the fixing and then later on someone else assumed the duties but i said i would talk about a single killer's theory i got really really sidetracked so you have somebody who is doing the seasonal job on long island maybe very familiar with um the activities of the residents, and then becomes more and more vicious, mutilating the tattoos of some of the victims, not all, and maybe that's leaving false clues, maybe that person just gets mad by certain images, or they see something like a name, and they want to disfigure the uh, tattooed image. Then, after a while, this person starts to get older, and this person just no longer has the energy to mutilate a body and then they realize that, hey, wait a second, we're now putting burlap around the base of all these trees. I'm just going to bury the bodies in these burlap sacks. I mean, I think that there also should be some consideration in the fact that there could just be a large concentration of murders in Long Island that are the result of people bringing prostitutes in and they get stuck in very dangerous situations and they believe the authorities aren't looking into this. So I think that um, that theory should hold weight, that it's almost like a, an unconnected snuff ring where people are being murdered, but it's not like some organized deviant plot that is orchestrated by a group of people sitting around a boardroom table. No. Instead, it is just people are committing crimes because they can get away with it. And then once, in 2011, people learned about it. 
their dark secret was exposed. What do you think happened in the Long Island serial killer mystery? And if there's a question that you think was not asked or answered in this one, please put it down below, and maybe it will be featured in a future AMA. And as always, you can go over to Amazon.com and have a look at the book Killer on a White Horse by me. Visit the Teespring page, and all the social media is in the description box. I will see you on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.